All right, brothers and sisters, if you will, take out your Bibles with me. And let's go once again to Ephesians chapter 5. Today we'll begin in verse 22. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22. And we'll go down to verse 33 here in just a moment. As usual, we will be referring back to this text time and time again after we read it this first initial time. And so I'd encourage you to keep it opened in front of you. Uh, I'll be referring to other passages of Scripture here and there, but those will be up on the screens behind me. You can just uh, hang out right there in Ephesians 5, and I think that'll be most beneficial to you to keep it open uh, and refer back to it with me as I refer back to it at times. Now, a couple of things I want to say at the beginning of this sermon on marriage. Number one, to single people. You might come into a church on a day like today and look at the bulletin and say, oh, the sermon's on marriage, it's not for me, and just check out. But I'm here to tell you, it is for you. It is for you, just as much as it is for those of us who are married. If you were reading through Ephesians in your own daily devotional time, would you skip over verses 22 through 33? Would you just skip that part? Well, no, of course not. Because all of the Bible is written for all of us. The Bible is written for all of us. Now, I want to make mention real quick. You guys probably heard this just a second ago. Our first responders, our fire department was called out. Let's spend just a moment here praying for those sirens and praying for where they're going and whatever they're doing. This has happened a number of times on Sunday morning. And it just seems like Sunday morning is the time where Satan works. Not just to distract us, but works to to cause havoc in the lives of some people. And so let's say a prayer in our hearts right now for those first responders and where they're going and whatever emergency they're going to. But back to single people. This sermon is for you just as much as for the rest of us because all scripture is God-breathed. All scripture is profitable. And so no matter if we come to a, a, a section of scripture that speaks to our season of life or not, it's still for us. In the same way, today's sermon is for everyone. Single people, you have married friends and probably married family members. If you are a part of a church family, you are called to help others walk in holiness and godliness. And so whether or not you will be married anytime soon, God may very well use you to help a marriage Because you pay attention to those parts in the Bible and you can speak God's words into the lives of those around you when it is needed. Furthermore, it is up to all of us to take a stand for the biblical view of marriage and the way that the culture is going these days. That is more important now perhaps than ever. I'm convinced that the biggest reason why the divorce rate is so high today, in our country at least... Is because we have misunderstood marriage. We've misunderstood what marriage is. We don't have a a good grasp and conviction on what marriage is according to the Bible. And thus, we are in the situation that our country is in. We are in the situation, at least when it comes to marriages, that our culture is in. So let's read our text today. Ephesians 5, we're going to go 22 through 33. Ephesians 5, 22 through 33. I'm going to wait just a moment. Verse 22. This is God's word through the Apostle Paul. Paul writes, Wives, 
Submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Here's how we're going to divide this up today. I'm going to spend the first kind of third of the sermon talking about what our passage says to wives. I'm going to spend the next third talking about what our passage says to husbands. Might be a little bit more than a third because that's a little bit more of the passage. And then we'll go spend the last part of our our sermon today talking about how marriage is a picture of Christ in the church. So first, verses 22 through 24, which says, Wives, submit to your husbands. Now, no matter what we say about this, no matter what we end up saying about this portion of the passage, every single wife who hears this, and indeed every woman or even every man who hears this, has to face up to this teaching. You've got to reckon with what's on the page. You've got to look it square in the face and let it be what it is And then make a decision about what you're going to do with it. Every single one of us has to do that. What do you do when the Bible makes you bristle? What do you do when God's word makes you bristle? Do you go with your own instincts? Do you try to explain it away? Or do you submit to it? The question today is, are we going to submit to God's word and to God's way way of ordering the family and to God's will? Are we going to submit to God on this or do we think that we know better? That's really the question. No matter what we say about this passage, that's the question. The question that everyone who reads this and everyone who hears this has to reckon with. Every church, every believer, every culture. Do we think we know better than God? Or will we submit to his will and his way? Now I want to spend just a moment talking about what submission is not. Because the word submit has been twisted and misused. And we need to make sure we understand what Paul actually means here. Those who wish to discredit the Bible will tell you that this passage right here means that a wife must be sheepish or a slave or always agreeing to every desire of her husband. 
It means never doing anything you want as a wife. It means you, you lose your personality, you lose your happiness, but you have to bear up and swallow your emotions if you want to be a biblical wife. That is what people who want to attack Scripture and want to discredit the Bible will tell you that this means. But that is emphatically not what Paul is saying. And don't just take my word for it. I want to show you this from Scripture. Because there is a way for me to stand up here and do this that would just be, it would just be you getting my opinion. And that's not worth anything. That's not worth anything. Me standing up here and telling you my opinion. That's not what we're here for. We're here for God's word. And so when we come to what submission is, what submission is not, we don't want whatever one person thinks it is. We want what God tells us it is and what God tells us it is not. And in that light, with that in mind, let me read to you 1 Peter 3, starting in verse 1. We'll read just the first two verses of this very helpful passage elsewhere in the New Testament. 1 Peter 3, starting in verse 1. This is coming from Peter, a different author than our passage right here in Ephesians. And Peter says, 1 Peter 3, verse 1, Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands. Now, it's the same idea that Paul's giving us. Be subject to your own husbands so that, and watch this, even if some of them do not obey the word, they may be one without a word, by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Peter is introducing to us a category of wives submitting to husbands who don't even believe. These are unbelieving husbands. These are non-Christian husbands, and the wife is a believer. And Peter is telling her, submit to your husband in that instance. Now, what, what, what makes this so helpful is how it, uh, it undergirds for us this teaching in Ephesians, and shows us what submission is not. John Piper notes five important implications from this passage in 1 Peter on what submission is not, what it cannot be. And I want to give those five to you. Because of that passage, because of what we just read, submission cannot mean that you agree with your husband on everything. Submission does not mean that. Why? Because that hypothetical wife in 1 Peter 3 did not agree with her husband on being a Christian, on the most fundamental of all things. She didn't agree with her husband, and yet she could still submit to him in a biblical way. And so, ladies, submission does not mean you have to agree with your husband on everything. Number two, submission does not mean and cannot mean that you leave your brain at the altar. You get married, and then you turn off your brain. That's what the world will tell you, but it can't mean that. 1 Peter 3 right there, that wife is obviously using her brain to decide to follow Jesus even though her husband is not, right? She's using her brain. She's thinking for herself. And so, wives, you can think for yourself and still biblically submit to your husband. It does not mean you turn off your brain. Submission does not and cannot mean that you don't try to influence your husband to change ever. That text in 1 Peter is built on the premise that that wife is trying to win her unbelieving husband. She's being submissive and trying to win him to Christ. Now, she's trying to win him in a submissive and not confrontative way, it says, but she's trying to influence him to change. And so, ladies, you can influence your husband and seek to influence your husband to change and yet still be a submissive wife in the biblical sense. 
Verse 24 in our text in Ephesians here, notice how it says, wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Well, First Peter helps us to understand, number four, that submission cannot mean you put the will of your husbands before Christ. And so if your husband leads you into sin, ladies, you don't follow him. If your husband leads you into sin or tries to, you don't follow him. You have a higher authority. If a husband tries to lead his wife into financial dishonesty or sexual immorality or tries to lead his family into staying away from church and from the body of Christ or whatever else, you respectfully refuse. You have a higher authority. So when verse 24 says, in everything, it clearly does not mean following him into sin. And so we have to understand what Paul means here. And then finally, number five, submission cannot mean that you get all your spiritual strength from your husband. There in that first Peter passage, the wife submitting to her husband had an unbelieving husband. She wasn't getting any spiritual strength at all from him. And so you don't have to get all of your spiritual strength from your husband to submit to him. It's very helpful, I think, to understand what submission is not, when if you take this passage and read it to unbelievers in our modern culture, they will attack it left and right and tell you that is absolutely sickening, it's abuse, it's patriarchy to the worst degree, and you can't follow that, women. can't follow that, ladies. So we need to understand what Paul means and what he does not mean. And so in that light, what then is submission? What is submission to a husband? Well, number one, it has to mean that it's recognition, at the very least, recognition that your husband is the head of the marriage and the household because God has decided it to be that way. God has made your husband the head of the marriage and the household. And to recognize that just initially is a form of biblical submission. To recognize that. Submission means a joyful and sincere support of his spiritual leading of the family to God. A joyful and sincere support of his leading of the family to God. Allowing him to lead you, ladies. Allowing him to lead you. This is to be your disposition. This is to be the posture you take in your marriage. You want to follow him in everything. There might be times when you can't, but you want to. Your posture is you want to. You want to because you want to obey the Lord. You want to because you want to please God. You might not be able to all the time if he leads you into sin, but you want to. Trusting in him Submission means trusting in him to set the direction of the family toward God. Trusting in your husband to set the direction of the family toward God. We're going to talk more here in just a moment about the husband's call to do just that. And then finally, I think submission means believing that all of this is good for you. Believing that all of this is good for you. Not just good for your family, good for you. This is the path toward your greatest happiness. And it it, it will help you flourish and be more of who you are if you walk in the Lord's plan for your marriage and your family life. Now, this is countercultural, self-denying obedience to God. We're not going to mince words about this. This is countercultural, 
self-denying obedience to God. Some people today hear this passage and think, yeah, right. This is just not going to fly in America in 2022. To which we respond, we believe that our greatest happiness comes through submission to God's word and God's will, not through asserting our own independence. We believe, all of us believe, as Christians, that our greatest happiness comes through submission to God's will, not through asserting our own independence. Our culture will tell us you will only be happy if you have complete freedom and independence to do whatever you want to do. Our culture is telling us all the time in a million ways, don't let anyone else tell you what to do, to which we respond, no. We've seen that lie before, and it comes straight from the mouth of Satan. It goes all the way back to the garden. It's a fake promise of happiness that actually leads to suffering and bondage. This independence that says, I'm not going to let anyone tell me what to do. It's fake. It's a fake promise of happiness. Now, we're going to let God tell us what to do. All of us. In a hundred different ways. Because we believe that he knows how to give us true happiness better than our modern culture does. We're going to let God order our lives because we believe he knows how it works better than our modern culture does. Take one solid, sober look at our modern culture. They are so confused, so confused about what works and what doesn't work. And they're trying all kinds of things. They're groping for solutions. They're groping for happiness away from God. And it makes sense. It makes complete sense. Because when you leave God, you've still got this heart that he made that is desperate to be happy and satisfied and content. And they're trying to find it in all these ways apart from God. They'll never find it. But it makes sense then that our modern culture, who is anti-God, is totally confused. Why would you trust them? Why would you trust them to tell you how to order your marriage? Why would you trust our modern culture to tell you how to order your personal life? We can't. We believe that God knows best. And so wives, this is countercultural, self-denying obedience to God. Now, husbands. Husbands, our passage tells us to love our wives like Christ. Love our wives like Christ. Now, I submit to you that the harder task here in this passage is actually given to husbands. Husbands have the harder task in this passage than wives do. You might not believe me in 22 2022 in America, but let's go through it and afterward, let me see if you agree or not. Number one, husbands, look down at verse 25 and everyone else look with us. Verse 25, where it says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Husbands, you're supposed to love your wife the way that Christ loved the church. And how did he love the church? He died for her. He gave himself up for her. And so, husbands, God is calling us to die to ourselves daily for the good of our wives. That's what God's calling us to do, to die to ourselves daily for the good of our wives. Let's think about Jesus for a moment. Jesus willingly gave up his life. 
He willingly went to the cross. He laid his own life down. He said, they don't take it from me. I lay it down of my own accord. He died for the church, for her good, and for her holiness, and for her salvation. He set aside his own desires, his own wants. Remember, he's in the garden praying to God, the garden of Gethsemane. And he's saying, Father, if there's any other way... And yet he comes to the end and he says, yet not my will, but yours be done. He's afraid. It says his sweat was pooling like drops of blood. He was so intensely afraid. His soul, he said, was overwhelmed to the point of death. And yet he goes through it willingly for the good of his bride, the church. And so we are called to do the same, husbands. We are called to die to ourselves every day for the good of our wives. That's how we love her. That's how we lead. God is calling you to a a love for your wife and a type of marriage that kills your selfishness. God wants to kill your selfishness, husbands. Instead of living every day for your own desires and for your own agenda, God wants you to sacrifice that for the good of your wife. He wants you to wake up every day and die to yourself and put her needs and her wants ahead of your own. And let me tell you, husbands, if you lead like that, if you act as the head of the household, the head of the marriage, like that, a wife will gladly submit to it. Because it's for her own good. It's for her own flourishing. The way that you lead is not commanding overbearance. The way that you lead is not abuse. The way that you lead is not authoritative meanness. The way that you lead is laying down your life every day for her good and putting her needs and her wants ahead of your own. A woman would gladly submit to this. To have her needs and her wants put ahead of yours. That's what God is calling you to do. That's how he is calling you to lead. A leadership style where you give up yourself for the good of your wife. Think about this in practical terms, husbands and wives. You guys ever walk around the house and you kind of see that chore that's right there and no one wants to do it? And so what do you do? You just kind of keep walking on by everybody and you play this game of who's going to flinch first, right? Who's going to do it? And we're just not going to mention it. We're not even going to say it. Who's going to do that thing that no one else wants to do? Well, husbands, the Christ-like leadership that we're called to do, to, to, to lead our wives in, That means that we take on the things that no one wants to do just so our wives don't have to do it. We take a burden on ourselves just so she doesn't have to bear it. Think about Jesus again. It's loving like Christ. Christ saw the torment of hell and said, I would rather experience that myself than for them to have to go through it. It's what he did for us. And we're called to love our wives like that. This passage protects against abuses of headship. Wives, you might read verses 22 through 24 and and say, what about abuse? What about when guys are abusing this? Isn't this going to set all kinds of wives up for, for abuse and for being under this kind of authoritarian leadership that is bad for them? This passage protects from that. It protects from that because God does not want wives submitting to overbearing, demanding, angry, abusive husbands. He wants wives submitting to self-sacrificing husbands who are focused on the happiness and growth and flourishing of their wives. 
And so it protects from abuses of headship. Now, husbands, this also means, if we're to love like Christ, love our wife like Christ, it means we take the initiative in serving our wives. We take the initiative in serving. We don't serve them because they deserve it. We don't serve our wives because they deserve it. We don't serve our wives because they've earned it. Did Christ die for the church because we were worthy? Did Christ die for the church because we were good or because we deserved it? Absolutely not. Listen to Romans 5, starting in verse 6. Paul writes, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that we, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And what's he saying there? He's saying one person will scarcely ever die for another. Although, if that person that you're thinking about dying for, if that person is really righteous, really good, then maybe, just maybe, someone would die for them. But what did Christ do? Christ died for us while we were still sinners, while we were rebelling against him and against God. He died for us in our wretchedness and our filth. And so, men, if you want to love your wife like Christ loved the church, you take the initiative to serve her, whether you feel like she deserves it or not. In fact, we could say, especially when she doesn't deserve it. That would be biblical. That would be more biblical. When she doesn't deserve it, we love her, we give her grace, we serve her. That's what Christ did for us. We take the initiative in serving husbands. We must take the initiative in forgiveness and reconciliation. We must take the initiative ourselves in forgiveness and reconciliation. After you have an argument, who takes that first step of reconciliation and forgiveness? After you have a fight with your wife, do you just wait it out? You play freeze out? Who's going to blink first? Husbands, I am telling you from this passage, it is our calling from God to take the initiative, to swallow our pride, and to take the initiative in reconciliation and forgiveness. It's on us. It's not on her. It's on us. Because what did Christ do? He took the initiative in reconciling us to God. We didn't take that first step. We didn't take the initiative. God took the initiative. And so if we're going to love our wife like Christ did, we must do the same. And so I hope you're starting to see here why I said earlier the harder task in this passage is given to husbands not to wives. And there are all kinds of husbands out there abdicating this responsibility completely, just giving it away, not even, not even giving another thought to it. Husbands, it doesn't stop there either. Look at verses 26 and 27. He goes on to say, that he might, this is talking about Christ to the church, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Husbands, it is our responsibility to help our wives know the Lord and become holy. It's our responsibility to lead her there. We must take a personal responsibility for her spiritual life, for her knowing the Lord. Now, again, we cannot do it in an authoritarian 
overbearing type of way. It's a service to her. We're serving her in this way. But husbands, let me tell you, because of the way that God's created men and women, it is very hard for your wife to pursue the Lord if you are not pursuing him. It's very hard for your wife to pursue the Lord if you're not pursuing him. It's actually much easier the other way around. Guys, it's not really hard for us. It's not as hard for us to pursue the Lord if our wife's not doing it. But the other way around, it is harder. It is harder for women to pursue the Lord if you, the husband, are not doing it. The spiritual health of your wife and your family depends on you seeking the Lord. And so husbands, are you reading your Bible? Are you reading your Bible on your own? Are you spending regular time with God in prayer? Are you the one who is initiating conversations about the need for your family to be involved in church? Or have you just farmed that out to your wife? When was the last time, husbands, that you asked your wife about her spiritual life? When was the last time you talked to your wife about the Bible or about Jesus? This is our responsibility before the Lord. It's right there in the text. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And how did he love the church? He gave himself up for her and he made her holy. Now, ladies, let me talk to you for just a moment. Those of you who have husbands who are doing this, make sure that he knows how much this means to you. Make sure that your husband knows how much it means to you if he is doing this, because there are a whole lot of Christian wives who don't have that, even in this church. There are a whole lot of Christian wives who don't have that. So if your husband is doing that, thank him for it. Let him know how much you appreciate it. But ladies, for those of you who are walking with Christ and pursuing God when your husband is not, let me just say to you, I see you. And God sees you, more importantly. God sees it. And God knows how hard it is for you to do that. And he will reward you for it. I pray regularly for the ladies of this church who are fighting that uphill battle to pursue the Lord because they have a husband who is just not doing it. I pray that God would strengthen your faith, ladies, and protect your faith from Satan. And I pray that your husbands would wake up and see the glory and the beauty of Christ and would begin to seek him and to know him and to lead your family spiritually. Husbands, the very best thing that you can do for your wife and for your marriage is spend time daily in the word and in prayer on your own. That is the best thing you can do for your marriage. More than anything you would do with your wife, more than anything you would do directly related to your wife, the best thing that you can do for your marriage, for your family, for your wife, is to spend time every day reading the Bible and in prayer, seeking the Lord, because that is going to affect everything else in your life. It's the best thing you can do for your marriage. Columbia Christian Church, where are the men? Where are the men 
in this church? Specifically, where are the next generation of men? We have got in this church a wonderful group of elders who are spiritually leading this church and men who used to be elders spiritually leading this church. But where's the next generation? Where's the next generation of men who are pursuing the Lord and growing in their knowledge of his word? Where are the next generation of elders and Bible teachers in this church? I'm here to tell you in a moment of honesty, I am worried about this. Where's the next generation of men, godly men? This church does not need more men who attend regularly and give money. This church does not need more men on the security team. This church needs men who are pursuing God and growing in their knowledge of the Bible and who will spiritually lead this congregation as well as their families. Who's it going to be? Now, I want to finish with board to husbands on this last little bit of the text where he says, especially in verses 28 and 29, look at 28 and 29, where Paul says, in the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. Look at verse 28 there. He says, he who loves his wife loves himself. You ever heard the phrase, happy wife, happy life? It's biblical. It's right here. It's biblical. Happy wife, happy life. It's right there. He who loves his wife loves himself. Why? Why does it say that? Well, look at the quote in verse 31. Verse 31 is a quote of the Old Testament, Genesis 2.24. It says, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become what? One flesh, one flesh. And that really informs what he says there in verse 29. No one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it. So since you're one flesh, husbands, when you love your wife, you're loving yourself because you are one. You're one flesh with her. When you love your wife, you're loving yourself. Happy wife, happy life, right? It's not the cultural way that people say that. It's the biblical way, right? Serve her. Give to her. Die to yourself for her. Take a a personal responsibility for her spiritual life. Lead her in this Christ-like, self-sacrificing way. And make her happy. And in doing so, you will make yourself happier. You are working for your own happiness. By leading and serving your wife in this way. Now finally we come to verses 32 and 33. Specifically look at verse 32. It says this mystery is profound. And I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Why is marriage called a mystery? Why is marriage called a mystery? Well some of the guys in here are saying because of women. Right? It's a mystery. They're a mystery. I don't understand. Why is marriage called a mystery, though? It's because without the revelation of God's word, we would think that marriage was just marriage. We would just think that marriage is, is what it is, but it's not. It's not just marriage. Marriage exists because God is pointing us to something greater. 
Marriage is a profound mystery that God has revealed to us in his word. Marriage points to Christ and the church. That's why it's called a mystery. God has revealed this, and without God's word, we would just think that marriage was just marriage. It's not. It's about something deeper and more important. Even though marriage came first chronologically, marriage can be traced all the way back to Genesis 2. That's why he quotes it back there. Marriage came from the very beginning. But even though it came first, marriage was always intended by God to be a pointer to something greater and more permanent. The reality of Christ and the church. It's actually amazing how God did this. God, all the way back in the beginning, made marriage knowing that he intended it always to be a pointer to the greater and more permanent reality of Christ and the church. Why do I say more permanent? Because of divorce? No, that's not why Christ and the church is more permanent than marriage. It's because Jesus said there will be no marriage in heaven. Do you remember that? When the Sadducees came to Jesus and were trying to trap him with that ridiculous scenario, there was a a man and a woman, and, and they didn't have any children, and the man dies, and he has six other brothers, and all seven of them were married to this same woman in succession. They just keep dying. And the Sadducees, all satisfied with themselves of their cleverness, look at Jesus and say, how about that? In the resurrection, whose wife will she be? And Jesus looks back at them and says, you are wrong. Because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. In the resurrection, in eternal life, there is no marriage. There's no marriage in eternal life. It doesn't mean God's not going to allow you to still have that connection with the person that you were most connected with on this earth. It just means marriage is a temporary reality meant to point us to something greater and more permanent. The reality that marriage always pointed to in the end, in eternity, will be here. Just like the Old Testament ceremonial laws. In the Old Testament, there were laws about sacrifices and worship at the temple and cleanliness laws and laws about all these festivals that you had to keep. But when Jesus came, those were finished. Their time had passed. They were all shadows that pointed forward to the reality of Christ and the new covenant. Marriage is like that. Marriage exists to point forward to a greater and more permanent reality. Listen to what the words of Christ from Revelation chapter 19 say. This is actually the the words of John writing down the vision that he gave, but the vision comes from Christ. Revelation 19, starting in verse 6. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. That's what it's all pointing to. That's what marriage is pointing to. 
And so, husbands, the reason that we are to love our wives like Christ loved the church is because our marriage is a picture to the world of Christ in the church. And if you give them an inaccurate picture of Christ, the Lord have mercy on you. Wives, the reason you are called to be subject to your husbands and to submit to him is because you're to do so mirroring the way that the church submits to Christ as her head. Do not give the world an inaccurate picture of the way the church submits to Christ in that beautiful groom and bride relationship that will exist for all eternity and finally be consummated at the end of all things in the marriage supper and feast of the Lamb. That's what we want. We want marriages who mirror that and point to that. It's a much deeper and much more motivating reason than just treat each other nice. So you don't get divorced. That's what we're after. Christ and the church. So let's end there. Let's take some time as we do each week to pray about that. Let's take some time to respond to God about that. God just gave us his word. Now each one of us can respond to him in whatever ways that he has laid this on your heart. And whatever ways you need to respond to the Lord. And so that's what this time of silent prayer is for here for just a few minutes and after we do that we'll come back together and we'll have an invitation time where any who need to respond to God's word in a public way can do so let's pray together right now